Brian and all the musicians and singers this morning. Uh, powerful. Love it. Love it, love it. And every week it seems like uh, that uh, without Brian and I really speaking a lot about um, what I'm preaching and what he's going to lead us in singing, the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing the two together every Sunday morning. We live in such a diverse and pluralistic world. Let me give you some examples. As far as countries go, there are 195 sovereign states in our world, according to the United Nations. Price's Atlas of Ethnographic Studies records over 3,800 distinct cultures that have been described by anthropologists, and some consider that an underestimate. There's more than 5,000 ethnicities in our world. Roughly 6,500 languages spoken around the world. 180 different types of currency. And if you've ever traveled to a foreign country, you know you have to exchange your cash for theirs. 4,300 different religions in the world. And more than 30,000 Christian organizations, including Christian groups and branches and denominations worldwide, 30,000, and 1,200 right here in the United States alone. Worldviews, that is a philosophy of life or a conception of this world, every individual seems to have a different one. And depending on who you ask, but some sources say there are 15 different sexual orientations. Again, depending on who you ask, and some have said over 100 different genders. We had a gender reveal party yesterday evening at Jonathan and Abigail's house, and we were only expecting one of two choices. Man, I'm glad I didn't have to guess. We all take a guess. I, I'm glad I didn't have to choose from 100. I was just choosing from two, boy or girl. Didn't know there was any others. And then when you talk about opinions, mercy, you pick any topic and every person has at least a dozen and they're happy to share them with you, whether you ask or not and whether you care or not. But you take all of this diversity and you mix it in with all of us sinners in the fallen humanity. And you see it's created all kinds of problems in this world. Division, strife, rioting, hatred, violence, war, genocide, murder, suicide, abortion, amongst a myriad of deviant, abominable sexual behaviors, and the woes that those have caused to multiplied millions of people around the world, as well as many other social, political, and family ills. ills. In the midst of all this, what if somebody came along who could solve all of these problems for us? For example, what if we just had one religion, one deity to worship, one way to follow 
What if somebody just set up one system of government for the whole world that all nations and all people would adhere to? And just one system of currency so that whenever we left our nation, we wouldn't have to exchange money every time. And how about when we traveled to another country, we didn't have to learn that language. And when they traveled to ours, they didn't have to learn our language. We all could understand one another and easily communicate, eliminating the language barrier. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Some would eagerly jump at that chance. Because, see, our world is ripe for that kind of person to enter the stage. So many of the world's population, like you and I, are sick and tired of all the division, the violence, the hatred among humanity. That most would eagerly accept any kind of peace between the nations and the races of people. In fact, our president attended the signing of the Abraham Accords a peace treaty between the United Arab Emirates and Israel this week. You see, many are anticipating someone to step forward with a plan for world peace. And I think if you've ever read the Bible from at any point, especially the New Testament, you know that that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to accomplish. The stage is set for him to step in and propose a plan for world peace, uniting us under one religion, one government, one culture, I mean one uh, currency, and one language. But I hope you know that's not the answer. In the midst of this diverse and pluralistic world, how can we know what's right and wrong? For instance, can we know if there is a right religion? Can we know if there is a right worldview? Is there a right sexual orientation? And if there are so many, is one better than the rest? Is there one true one and all the others are false and wrong? Or are we to embrace them all? Even if the numbers of all these things keep growing. Are we to see them all as equally value, valid and true? Where will it stop? Or will it? In the book, Gaily the Troubadour, published in 1936, Arthur Guterman wrote the following poem. Reading his observations, you wouldn't guess it was written 84 years ago, but you would thought it had been written more recently. It reads like this. First, dentistry was painless. Then bicycles were chainless. And carriages were horseless. And many laws enforceless. Next, cookery was fireless. Telegraphy was wireless. Cigars were nicotineless. And coffee Caffeineless. Soon oranges were seedless, the putting green was weedless, the college boy was hatless, and the proper diet was fatless. Now motor roads are dustless, the latest still is restless, our tennis courts are sodless, and new religions are godless. 
Decades ago, when prayer and the Bible were removed from our public schools, many wondered what would become of our society. Look around. Now we know. Those children from whom we took God's word and dependence upon God in prayer are now running our country. I'm going to read some scriptures for you. A lot of scripture today, by the way. But these scriptures that I'm fixing to read are not going to be on the screen. They come from the prophet Jeremiah and his book called Lamentations and the prophet Hosea. And I'm going to read them all as one. God says, Sin runs rampant in your land. You love to wander far from me and you do not restrain yourselves. The people say, Our wickedness has caught up with us, Lord. We have turned away from you and we've sinned against you again and again. The Lord says, Your sins are many and your guilt is great. I have to punish you because your sins are many and your guilt is great. The guilt of my people is greater than that of Sodom. Y'all know Sodom, don't you? God says the guilt of my people is greater than Sodom. The Lord says there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There's violence everywhere. That's why your land is mourning and everyone is wasting away. God has given me a new focus for our next Sunday morning study in his word. So this message is an introduction to that study. We truly live in a world that no longer accepts one single truth. We live in a world that no longer accepts anyone who believes there is but one single truth. If you believe there's only one God and one way to that one God, and that one man is to be married for, to one woman for one lifetime, and you're not to have sex before you're married, and, and you don't believe, you believe there's only two genders, and so forth and so on, then you're going to be hated. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be despised. You're going to be persecuted. This world expects its citizens to swallow without question all forms of beliefs, practices, and lifestyles. But Jesus tells us that while we live in this world, we are not of this world. He said we must shine our light and be the salt of the earth. Paul wrote that we're to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So if you're a Bible-believing, born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you are swimming upstream. And the current against which we swim is not getting calmer, nor will it. It's going to grow faster and stronger against us. But we cannot give up. We cannot give in. We must, as God's people, be resolved and stand strong and firm in the one 
true God and his one true word. In his 1983 acceptance speech for the Templeton Prize for Progress in Religion, a Russian with the first name Alexander and a last name I cannot pronounce recalled the words he heard as a child. So growing up, his elders sought to explain to him why Russia was ruined in the 80s. And here's what his elders taught this boy, Alexander. He said, my elders taught me the reason Russia was ruined. Men, he says, and I quote, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. And he went on to add, if I were called upon to identify briefly the principal trait of the entire then 20th century, here too I would be unable to find anything more precise and pithy than to repeat once again, men have forgotten God. And if that were true for Russia, and we saw what's happened to Russia, where do you think the United States is headed? Do you think we will escape the same fate? Now more than ever, at least in our lifetime, God's people need to be centered and focused and committed to one. Even though we live in a deceived, pluralistic world, you and I must be singular in our devotion, singular in our focus, singular in our convictions, singular in our witness. What do I mean by that? Followers of Jesus must resolve, that is, be fully convinced and convicted and live it out day by day that there is only one God and king and ruler over all. That there is only one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That there is only one Holy Spirit. That there is only one truth, one faith, one way. And that there is only one sacred scripture. That there is only one true church, meaning there is only one true religion. There's only one correct worldview. There's only one blood that unites all mankind despite the color of their skin. There's only one plan for sex. There's only one plan for marriage. One. It's time God's people stop waffling and swallowing garbage and stand on the truth once and for all and don't budge. We're going to talk about that for the next... I started that with all your heart in 2019 thinking it would last a couple of months. Well, it went all year. So I don't know how far this one's going to go. But God's given me some things that he wants us to know. And the first thing we're going to do this morning, I say the first thing, the next thing we're going to do is something that we don't always do. We're going to read tons of scripture. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles. You can read it. Follow me on the screen if you desire. But there's something about looking at your Bible too. 
It is all the word of God, so if you'd rather look at the screen than your scripture, that's fine. But we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 5, verse 17. It's 1140. I'll try to read uh, through this as God gives us time, but I want to take our time and not rush it either. See, the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote this book, and Ephesus was a city that was surrounded and it, I mean, it was situated, it was a perfect trade route city, all sorts of influences, but the influences were pagan. And uh, the, the false gods and, and paganism ruled that city. And, but Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, planted a church there, a little group of believers. A little group of people came to know the Lord, and that church began to grow. And Paul is writing to them to explain to them who they are in Christ and, and how th that who they are in Christ needs to be lived out so that they can be the people of God in that culture that God's called them to live and serve and minister in. This book advances the doctrine of the unity of mankind only in Christ. It advances the, the, the demands upon Christ's followers to live out their faith and hold up his truth in an increasingly hostile society. So I want you to hear these words as we, in the context of what I've just explained and in the context of one God, one way, one truth, one Jesus, one, one. So let's read it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Please notice the repetition of the phrase, in him or in Christ, throughout this book. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as the sons, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. How do we have redemption through his blood? What is redemption? It means a price paid for. There's a price for sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. Who paid the price? Jesus Christ. How did he do it? Through his Blood, if there's any other way, then Christ wasted his life. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together, what's that next phrase? In one. All things... In Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. How did you come to know the Lord? That verse just described it. You trusted in him after you heard the word of the truth. You believed it. And then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's how you came to know the Lord. 
You responded by faith to the gospel that was preached to you, and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, where he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Where is he? Verse 21. Where is Christ? Far above all principalities, that is all rulers, far above all power, far above all might, far above all dominion, and far above every name that is named. Not only in this age, not only in the world, but also in eternity, which is to come. Where's Christ? Above all. It's only once it's above all. And he put all things, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you, he made alive. Now it's our past. We don't like to talk about our past, but Paul says, we were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's the devil. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, he's the one at work in this world, creating all this havoc, spiritually and otherwise. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. You see, at one time we were just like the ones in this world who were propagating the anti-God agenda. We were just like them at one time. But God. Thank God, but God, who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You don't often hear these phrase, these two ne- next two verses in this context, but by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's no other, no other faith except our faith, the Christian faith, that says you come to faith or you come to Christ by faith. Every other religion in the world, you come to God by works. There's only one way. It's by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created where? In Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, which are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. What is that verse saying? He said, well, there's this group of Jews, the circumcision, they make fun of and, and mock the Gentiles. Oh, they're uncircumcised dogs. But now, that's in Christ, he says, verse 20, um, 
verse 12, said that at that time, we, we uncircumcised Gentiles were without Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, and we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. That was our spiritual condition before Christ. But now, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You're not brought near by your good works. You're brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace. You're not going to find peace in this world apart from Jesus Christ. This world will not know peace apart from Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter how many treaties they sign. He is our peace who has made both one. Who's both? The Jew and the Gentile. Diametrically opposed, racially opposed, religiously opposed, politically opposed. He brings them together in Christ and makes them what? One. And has broken down the middle wall of separation. Let me ask you, have you ever seen the wall of division in our nation as high, as wide, as long as it is now? Who can break it down? It's only one. Only one. It's not a political leader. It's not a government. And it's not money. It's Christ. Verse 15. He having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two. Thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death enmity. We're one body. We're one body. Every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ, doesn't matter where they live, what color their skin is, what government they are living under, every believer is a member of the one true church, the one body of Christ. There is no other church. You're either a member of the church or you're not. And it's not a Baptist or Methodist or Catholic Pentecostal thing. It's about Jesus. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, that is us, we are the building of God, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What if all these timbers decided they wanted to rebel? I don't like, that timber says to that timber, I don't like you, you're different from me, and they decide to part company. Guess what? You're dying, because if those timbers part company, we're all dead. We're the building and every member, every part is joined together as the body of Christ. And that's the only way we can function as one in Christ. Having been built on the foundation, he says, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom, that is Christ, you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read 
you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. What's the mystery he's talking about? The mystery is that God could, first of all, love a sinner like me, that God could let a sinner like me into heaven, and that God, a holy God, would come down in the form of man called Jesus Christ, who had known no sin, would now take all my sins and own himself and pay the price for them so that I could be declared righteous, so that I could go into heaven. If that's not a mystery, I don't know what one is. which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, that's me, should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ. How? Through the gospel. The good news of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. If you were called by one God, to one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to one faith, to one body, then why would we be so divisive? Walk according to your calling. Don't be a divisive person. You're not helping your world by spouting your opinions. You and I must live to point to one, Jesus Christ with all lowliness and gentleness. And yes, you will suffer. If you choose to do this, you will suffer. You will be despised. You won't be popular. You'll be hated. You'll be mocked. You'll be ridiculed. Some aren't willing to pay that price. And from which eternal life will not be given because Jesus demands absolute surrender. There's no partiality. There's no partial faith. I'm committed to Jesus as long as I can live my own life and, and do what I want to do and I want to go to heaven. That, that, that is, that's, not, that's not faith. 
you're all in or you're all out. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. You search the scriptures, you see if there's middle ground. Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, there is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he gave himself some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. We're not there yet. We're coming there. And what's the measure? It's not me. It's not you. The measure is the stature of the fullness of Christ. The measure stick is Jesus Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Listen, the winds are blowing strong, all this falsehood and, and all the stuff this world's trying to, and our nation is trying to get us to swallow and tolerate and embrace. We're not to be carried away with that. But we're to speak the truth, verse 15, in love. And grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Growth causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened. That's why they're doing what they're doing. Their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God. They're ignorant. They're blind in their hearts. We need to pray for them. They're past feeling. They've given themselves over to lewdness. They work all sorts of uncleanness with greediness. But not us. That's not how we learned Christ. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, the truth, one truth is in Jesus. There's only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be re renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and true holiness. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Speak truth with your neighbor. When you hear a falsehood, speak truth. Don't just let it go. Speak truth in love. Be angry. And do not sin. The sin and the degradation of my, this society makes me angry. But I cannot sin. I cannot let it overcome me. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. 
But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Hang on, we're 17 verses away. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Is God one? How should we be? And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for saints. There ought not be a fornicator who's a part of a church. There ought not to be an adulterer who's a part of a church. There ought not to be a covetous, lying person, part of the body of Christ. Put away all that, nor filthy, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, that is, you say, what's fornication? That's having sex outside of marriage. No unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness. That may have been how you used to live, but now you're children of light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship. Have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. See, it's even shameful, he says, to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. We're to shine the light. And that's why they hate us. When we speak the truth... It shines the light on their evil deeds. They wanted to keep it in darkness. They wanted to hide it. And they want people to, be in, to embrace it and accept it. But when we hold forth the truth and said, no, that's not true. There's only one way and that's not it. They don't like it. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. That's our message. See then that you walk circumspectly. That is correctly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. It's necessary for us to do this now because the days are evil. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, I wanted you to hear all of that in context because it's from that passage of Scripture that we're going to be forming this, this whole series. God holds you and me as His people accountable to, di- to these truths and how well we hold them high. And as we hold forth one, everybody do this with me this morning. As we hold forth one, one God, one truth, one faith, one church, one. Notice what else we're doing. We're saying to the world, this is one. But what are we doing? Pointing them to him. That's our responsibility. God said to Jeremiah, through Jeremiah, this is how the Lord responds. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. Now listen to this last phrase. You must influence them. Do not, 
He says, let them influence you. And that's been the problem with the people of God. We have more of the world in the church than ever before. And we're waiting for the world to repent. And God, that's why I started those scriptures in Jeremiah and Hosea. God says, my people's sin is many and great, and it's worse than Sodom's. We're not helping this world when we accept and or ignore all that we know is false. We're not helping this world when we just accept and ignore that which goes against God and His Word. The only hope that this world has is the one true God and His one true Word. Our responsibility is to be committed to the one true God and His one true Word without wavering and point people to Him even if it means we're hated and despised for it and we will be. Will you join me? It's going to take courage. It's going to take a lot of grace, strength from God. And it means you're going to do it in your everyday life. It goes all the way to the choices you make every day. How you respond to people and how you respond to error and falsehood when you're confronted with it. Will you ask God this morning to give you the grace and the strength and the will to be committed to the one true God and the one true way? Some of you here this morning may not be convinced of that. Say, you can say all that, but I don't believe it. I don't believe there's one way. There are many ways to God. You have that right to believe that. But you're not living a happy, peaceful life. You're miserable. You have guilt. You have bitterness. You have rage and anger. Resentment built up in your heart and shame from all the things you've done that eat at you every night when you turn out the light. And you know it. The only way to get rid of all of that is to embrace the one who died for you. The one who rose again to give you brand new life. The only way you can have all that gone is to place your faith in Jesus Christ as the one and only way. Would you bow with me this morning?